You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning or afternoon or almost afternoon, depending on where you are. If you're out here in the West with me, it's a glorious just after 9 a.m. And uh, back in New York or the East Coast, uh, it is noon. Um, I'm sure many of you are getting ready to uh, get some good football in today. Uh, It's a glorious day out here, and you are here with me live. I'm your host for the next 30 minutes here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And what makes this show I think a little bit unique and fun is that it's live and we want to hear from you because if I don't hear from you, then you have to listen to me for the whole 30 minutes. You don't want to do that. So give us a call, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. And you can just give me a call and a question. You can also log in to Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Just click on that tab. And you can just join in on the conversation. And lastly, go ahead and send us an email. You can send us an email to drjeff, drjeff, at petliferadio.com. And our producer, Mark, will forward it to me live as we speak. And uh, we can talk and go over some, some interesting points. There have been a few emails, and so we just want to share some of those with you. Oh, before I get too deep into info, I want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products and Kong. K-O-N-G uh, makes great products for pets. And um, ProSense, where you can get veterinary quality products at the mass market level at some mass market pricing. Ah, now that's nice. So anyway, before we get into some meat, actually our own uh, producer sent me some pictures of his cat with what we call a an ear hematoma. Now, basically, without getting too gross, what a hematoma is, is basically a blood blister. I'm sure many of you have had this with your pets, usually dogs. It's not quite as common in cats, though it can happen. Clearly, it can happen because it did. And uh, so basically, because of an ear infection often, because of heavy-duty scratching, heavy-duty shaking the head, the blood vessel inside of the pinna, the pinna is the ear flap, will rupture. So what happens is the ear flap is hollow, basically. It's the outside with the hair part and the inside, the part that's on the inside of the ear, clearly, and it fills up with blood. So this typically very, very, very thin ear, especially in a cat, God, it's paper thin, it fills up with blood and it's almost, it looks like a water balloon, but what's filled up is not water, it's not serum, it's actually blood. And there are... Only really a few ways to treat it successfully permanently. Those pretty much all involve some kind of surgical procedure. Now, I wanted to talk about two things that often people do, and I'll even do it myself because we do have the the beauty of this one is it's not dangerous and we have time on our hands. So it's not something you have to rush into a treatment. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and stick a needle into it and drain it. And if you're lucky enough, sometimes I'll even infuse it with a little cortisone. And if the bleeding just on its own finally stopped, we're done. But what happens is that vessel that's feeding the hematoma, first of all, we don't know where it is. It's very small. And we now have what's called dead space. Dead space is you had a, an ear that was blown up, an ear pinna, an ear flap that was blown up because of the blood. You remove the blood and it's not flat again. It's kind of loose and there's, dead, there's space in there. So what does a body like to do? When it sees extra space, well, it fills it up. 
It's either, in this case, going to fill it up with more blood, or in cases of, let's say, you remove a mass from a dog that's not bleeding, and it's a, a minor mass, a benign mass, a fatty tumor called the lipoma, for example. If you have a large enough lipoma, sometimes the body is going to take that space that was occupied by the lipoma, and it's going to fill it up with serum. It's called a serous drainage, called a seroma. And again, not dangerous, and you just drain it. It's going to go away, and a lot of times this is why if you have a dog with a fairly large mass that's been removed, you will note that when you pick up the dog from the hospital, it's going to have what's called a drain inside because we need some place for that fluid to go, and we don't want it to fill up this newly formed dead space. So we put in a drain for, oh, it could be four or five days, six days, and then once we see that the drainage has stopped, then we'll pull the drain. Well, with a hematoma, it would be great to come up with some way to be able to sort of pinch close the ear flap now that it's newly drained, and that might help it from recurring. As I tell my clients, the odds are against you, because most likely, no matter what you do, no matter what you try, it's going to come back, which then leads us to one of quite a few surgical options. Oh, God, there's so many things that have been tried over the years. Because here you're dealing with something that's just not a serious problem. And you say, oh, my God, I got to do surgery on something that's not even that serious. And oh, putting in little cannulas, little drainage things, syringes in there. They empty a syringe. They take the um, actual plunger out and putting that in place, putting a little hole just on the top or the bottom, whichever the case may be, depending whether it's a floppy ear or an erect ear, and letting it drain until the, finally it'll clot, and then you can pull it out. I, as I said, there's so many things that have been tried. I have tried a lot of the others, and I've gone back again and again to the surgical option. I make a slice down the length of the hematoma on the inside of the flap. I actually insert what we call mattress sutures to eliminate all of the dead space. I leave a space between my two freshly cut edges for scarring. I actually want it to scar on the inside, but I want a linear, straight scar. And that will help from this ever happening again, hopefully. And it works. You know, it's like sometimes you try new things. They don't work as well. And I always tell people, when they tell me about their veterinarian doing a procedure that might be a little older, I said, hey, if it works and he or she is comfortable with it, that's all that matters. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've made some changes. I do a lot of laser surgery. I know many of my colleagues are still haven't jumped on board doing laser surgery. So it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that sometimes people have a certain affinity for doing certain things, trying new ideas, that they work great. I look, I think of anesthetics. There are, I mean, I remember back in the days where we were using an anesthetic, a gas anesthetic called metaphane. And then from metaphane, it went to fluorine. And then from fluorine to isofluorine. I mean, there were so many, there was fluorine in there too. And now they're using sevofluorine. So, and I still use iso and sevo. I like them both. I think they each have their place. And like the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If your doctor is very comfortable using something that might be a bit on the older side, it doesn't mean it's any worse. In fact, I think of uh, surgeries for small dog cruciates. And there have been so many. If you read the book on so many different techniques that are used, and the one that many, many, including what we do at our hospital, is called a lateral suture. It works just fine. And it's easy, and it's fairly quick, and it's no better or worse than some of the others. So, you know, sometimes the easy approach is not the, it's not, it's not like the easy way out. Sometimes an easy approach works just as well, in which case, let's go for it. Anyway, here's my warning of hematomas. The one thing I don't like to do is ignore it, and I'll tell you why. Ultimately, 
you have this huge blood blister within the ear. Ultimately, the vessel feeding this is going to clot, and you're going to be left with a big blood blister. So what happens over time? Well, the fluid portion, the serum, the plasma of this blood is going to ultimately be resorbed. And that's going to leave us with some fibrin. Fibrin is that product within the blood that actually helps scarring. Well, you're going to get all this fibrin that's going to be there, left there. And what it's going to do, it's going to misshape, contort the ear flap, the pinna itself, in a very unpredictable way. And I'm sure you've seen wrestlers. You know, now wrestlers wear the big ear things, kind of like what I'm wearing now, but it's not a headset. It's to protect their ears. Why? Because the trauma that the ear goes through when the opponent grabs at the ear in every which way, form, shape, getting into the headlocks and the ears are, well, before you know it, these ears get very scarred. And often when you see this in a person, you can almost predict with confidence that at some point they were a wrestler. Well, that's what the canine or feline ear is going to look like in time. It's going to have a funny shape. It's going to be hard. It's going to lose its elasticity all because of the fiber. And as I said, you can't predict what shape, ultimate shape, this ear flap is going to assume, which means that if you don't mind a little ugly ear, that's okay. Most likely it won't hurt the pet at all. However, it can in certain times, if a lot of the fibrin becomes sort of dependent, say in an erect ear, meaning it's down to the bottom, it could form a scar within the ear in such a way that it could occlude the opening of the ear canal. And now you're going to have trouble. So if this hematoma is a hematoma that wasn't sort of high up in the canal, I mean on the pinna, but actually a little lower down towards what we call the tragus and the antitragus, those are those kind of weird thick cartilages within the ear, then it may create problems down the road. So the only thing I'm not a fan of is neglect. So I think it's a good idea to drain it. Steroids might be a good idea because a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever known a plastic surgeon, but if you have some scar that's forming, what they'll often do is inject it with a little bit of corticosteroid which could shrink down the scar. So not a bad idea in such a case where you have fibrin that might be starting to do its damage is to put the pet on steroids or actually inject some steroids into the scarring, into the fibrin clot, and that might help as well. But something you definitely want to talk to your veterinarian about, as with many, many issues or aspects of veterinary medicine, it seems like if you ask 10 different veterinarians, you'll probably get 11 different opinions. But you'll see that I think it is a smart thing to do to check with your vet, but don't ignore it, whatever you do. Now, one more thing. These hematomas rarely start on their own in the sense that the perfect dog with the perfect ear is probably not going to get a hematoma. So what you need to do is also make sure that Whatever you do, the ear is checked, the ear is cleaned, whether it's allergy, whether it's debris, that pet has been scratching or shaking his or her head vigorously, which is probably how this happened in the first place. So anyway, if anyone has had an issue with ear hematomas, give us a call, 877-385-8882. Once again, pick up the phone. I'm here, 877-385-8882. We're uh, ready for a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk about another quick email coming from one of our shelter listeners about snap tests. And I'll explain those right when we come back. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I'm home. My hair looks cute. Now what? Bringing home a puppy or new dog is exciting, and he's depending on you to keep him in good health. 
Dogs need special care to keep them healthy as they grow throughout their entire life. Caring for their health is critical in all stages. With ProSense, it's simple and convenient to give your dog the care it needs with effective and quality products that treat, prevent, and provide essential daily vitamins and minerals. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Do you know that moment when your dirty dog's about to jump in your nice, clean car? You can avoid all the cleanup and mess with a 4K9 seat cover. 4K9s makes heavy-duty seat covers and cargo liners that will blend seamlessly with the interior of your vehicle. You can find us at 4K9s.com. That's the number 4, K-N-I-N-E-S.com or on Amazon.com. 4K9s makes nothing but the best for your best friend. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. And thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And, um, you know, I mentioned about an email we got. This is coming from Kira, who works at a shelter in El Paso, Texas, and had a question about snap tests. We'll talk about that in a minute. And she, you know, basically uh, wanted to know whether or not when running certain tests, these tests for, of course, at a shelter with cats, it's going to be leukemia, it's going to be feline and, you know, immunodeficiency virus, and the importance of if she gets a positive test, are we going to repeat the tests? And I think there are a lot of things. First of all, let's talk about a SNAP test. A SNAP test is a test that comes from IDEX, one of the big laboratory companies. And it's a great way for us to be able to test for some of the diseases we often test about in-house so we can give you an answer right now. Oh, things like a heartworm and feline leukemia, feline AIDS. There's also a combined test for cats, which includes all three. CPL, which is canine pancreatic lipase. These are all tests that allow us to take a drop of blood, put on this little, little device that you put the blood on, you snap it closed, you wait a few minutes, and it gives you a result. So it's fantastic. But, you know, the thing is we have to be read them with a grain of salt. We have to understand that the test is just testing either antigen, that's the disease itself, or antibody, the body's response to the disease. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the animal has the disease now. So, of course, if we have a positive, especially when it comes to leukemia or feline AIDS in a cat that's less than 16 weeks of age, I will, of course, we pay attention to the test, but it's not the end-all cure-all. I would definitely recommend, especially if that cat is acting totally fine, repeating the test close to 16 weeks of age. In fact, I always tell people it's not until 16 weeks of age that I'm going to feel very comfortable with the results of one of these tests. But sometimes you don't have 16 weeks. So I recommend that, you know, for, so Kira, for you, yes, if you get a positive, it doesn't necessarily mean 
that that positive is set in stone, especially in a much younger cat, because there could be a time that the antigen is running through the body, but the body's own immune system is going to handle it. Or if it's a test for antibody, then if there was exposure and the body did its thing and was responding to the antigen, to the disease, to the virus, then you might get a positive test. But it doesn't mean we have an active infection. It just means there were antibodies. So in a case like that, what I recommend is, yes, repeating in a few weeks, assuming the pet is acting totally fine. And this is where I am very cautious about tests in general. I've said this before, for example, about parvo. Parvo is a potentially deadly disease, but I don't necessarily treat the test. I treat the pet. So if I have a dog who comes in with no signs of parvo, But the reason the owner brought the pet in is because she knows or he knows the dog was exposed to a parvo or a litter mate tested positive for parvo and is sick. But the dog comes into me and it is just healthy as can be. I go ahead and do a parvo test and it comes back positive. Am I going to hospitalize this dog and start putting on IVs and spending thousands of dollars to treat or even hundreds of dollars to treat? The dog is fine. So the answer is no. What I'm going to do is keep an eye on it. And I'm going to give the owner very explicit instructions of things to watch. And I'm going to retest that dog. But same thing with these tests, Kira, is even if you have a positive, but the cat is fine, I might take some precautions with this cat. I might separate the cat from other cats, but I am not going to put him to sleep, nor am I going to actively treat if the cat's acting fine. Now, a positive test in a cat that's very sick, ah, that carries with me a lot more weight than a positive cat in a cat that's clinically totally fine, especially if they're less than 16 weeks of age. So therefore, I hope that helps a little bit. You have some guidelines and best of luck. And thanks for writing in. And please, you want to send me an email to drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com and kind of let me know how things are going. Now, I also had another thing I wanted to talk about. And we are doing a heck of a good job keeping our pets living longer. So consequently, What we are seeing, what I'm seeing in practice, and I'm sure many of your veterinarians are seeing, and I'm sure many of you at home, hopefully, are lucky enough to have senior dogs. For example, and I'm not going to take any credit for it, I think his genes are doing the most work. I think his success was not in my great care, but he was in him choosing the right parents. But my old lab is now 14 and a half, which for a Labrador, for those of you who may not know, is pretty darn good. I've had Labradors for 40 plus years, and he is the oldest one I've ever had. I've had a few that made it to their 13s. Most go with some cancer or some disease or some organ failure uh, when they're 12 or so. But because our diagnostics have improved, our preventive care, we know more about nutrition, what we are seeing are a lot more older dogs. And with that, we are seeing more of a condition that we refer to as CDS, cognitive dysfunction syndrome. And to put it into a term that many of you might recognize even more is Alzheimer's. It's doggy Alzheimer's. It's where these dogs, and I and I think, bless his heart, my 14 and a half year old Grover is there to some degree because he blocks out the word. Now, I don't, I don't know if he's truly deaf because if I get the right sound, he comes in, he hears, uh, here's a dog that is in his own world. And I'm calling his name, and he is sleeping away. He is not moving. If he wants to go into a bag or purse because he's smelling something in there, and and I'm screaming his name, he's ignoring me. But, but, if I shake that plastic bin with the dry food in it, oh, my God, does he come running. 
So he knows. He's out there. He's in his own world, which is fine. But we do see that about 14% of senior pets have CDS. But interestingly, interestingly, and I, I'm probably just as guilty, only about 2% of their owners are actually doing anything about it. So, you know, we have to a little understand a little bit more about it. And uh, one of the things that we see, we'll see, first of all, an increase in anxiety, a decrease in hygiene. So here are dogs that used to, you know, they don't self-groom anymore. They're not licking, they're not taking care of themselves. Altered appetite. And I, and I say altered because in some cases, it might be a increased appetite and some decreased appetite. Fortunately, and good old Grover, and that's my only example because he's my oldest dog, my oldest big breed. I did have Millie, my little rat terrier. She went 16 and a half. But Grover, his appetite unchanged. I would say, it, I wouldn't say it's increased. I would say that it is what it always has been, and that is he's a Labrador. And if I continue to feed him, he will continue to eat. It's one criteria. It's very difficult to judge a lab as far as being sick using appetite, all right? as your uh, test, because they will eat regardless. I, I often joke, they'll eat on their deathbed. I hope I don't have to ever have to see that with Grover, but they love to eat. Here's a good one, a decreased responsiveness to stimuli. Well, duh. I mean, this guy, I can yell and scream, I can whistle, and I get nothing from him. But if you see your senior dogs kind of wandering around aimlessly, just as I said, they're in their own world, and they have a deficit in learning and memory. Some dogs early on in the, in the stages of dementia, of Alzheimer's, of CDS, if you come home and they know, yeah, typically it's dark, but they know, they can tell, they know your car, they know the sound of your key going in the front door, they know your smell, which they pick up immediately, and many times, ah, sometimes you get a bark until they see you and recognize you, whereas a dog with CDS, with this dementia, they will not. They will continue barking. And what's so interesting, if I'm outside and my dogs start to bark at whatever sound it is, and when that sound is gone, and I have five dogs, four of the five will stop barking. Good old Grover, though, he will just continue to bark, just, just continue to bark. So that's you know other, other signs. Now, other signs are you'll see a dog that will do, they're sort of, as I said earlier, they're lost in their own world. They will walk around aimlessly. They can get stuck, literally stuck in a corner because they put their head, they're walking, they get into that corner and they get lost. They, they don't know whether to turn right or left. It, it seems like they're, they're stuck. So that's another sign that this dog may have CDS. Dogs that will wake up in the middle of the night and start panting as if they are, uh, that's, that's part of this anxiety issue. They start panting and I'm talking panting hard. They become agitated. Do you have to, they have to go out? We don't know. Ah, speaking of going out, another thing you may see in a dog that has CDS is the loss of their bathroom habits. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking necessarily urinary incontinence where they could be lying down and all of a sudden they wake up and there's a puddle. No, I'm talking literally a dog who knows what they're doing and they'll go off into a corner or take a few steps away from where all the action is. And they will take that squat, and they will either urinate, they will defecate. It's like, are you joking? This is a dog that's been house trained for years, and now all of a sudden, they stop. So, you know, these are some of the things. And the physical changes can change. Also, we talked about the impaired hearing. We talked about diminished eyesight. Joint disease, we see that much more commonly in senior pets as well. 
So, I mean, there are studies that are being done about doing brain scans, and they're trying to see if there are any medications out there that might help. For example, a medication used in people called L-Depronil, that might help. There are two separate studies that are they're being done now. It's a drug called Apoa Equorin. And it's uh, given to elderly dogs with memory problems, and it seems to also increase their stimuli and their effect, their memory on the positive. So, you know, what I would recommend if you have that senior, senior pet, and you are starting to see some signs that fit this description, it may not necessarily be, or don't jump to CDS, though certainly that's high on my list, but you want to make sure these pets have a good physical, that the rest of their organ systems are working fine. You want to have their joints evaluated. You want to make sure their ears are clean. How many times have I seen dogs with quote-unquote impaired hearing only to find out they have a horrendous ear infection with so much dirt and debris clogging up their ear canal? No wonder why the tympanum, the eardrum, can't vibrate as it's supposed to because it's the ear is filthy. So these are things we have to work on to make sure our pets are healthy. If all of that comes back fine, you might think of speaking to your veterinarian about some ways to treat to work on this cognitive dysfunction syndrome. So anyway, that's it for our show today. We've hit that time. I want to thank you all for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I want to once again thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products and Kong. And uh, hope you all have a great week and uh, see you next week right here, same time, nine o'clock in the west, noon back east. And as far as mountain time and central time, you can figure it out. Anyway, once again, if you want to reach me at all during the week, you can either uh, reach me here, uh, just send a note to drjeff at petliferadio.com, or you can contact me directly at drjeff at drjeff.com, drjeff at drjeff.com, and write our number down for next week, 877-385-8882. Give us a call. We'll uh, answer your questions. We'll talk about any pet issue you'd like to discuss, and until then... Have a wonderful week, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.